text. Um, many of you haven't been here over the last, uh, well, we had six weeks in the fall in Ephesians, and now we're in our, our third out of four weeks uh, in January, also in Ephesians. And so, so to hear today's message, we want to set it in the context of, of the book of Ephesians. Uh, go to the next slide. Yep. Uh, chapter 1. Want to put that up? Chapter 1. Chapter 1 really emphasized God's lavish grace in Jesus Christ and how that grace is directed toward bringing unity of all things in heaven and on earth. There's this overarching kind of view of, of God's love in Christ is for the whole cosmos. God is doing something in Christ to reconcile all of creation, everything that God has made, and to bring it all together in Christ. Chapter 2 kind of continues that theme, uh, but focuses more in on Jesus' death and resurrection, and how Jesus' death and resurrection has given us new life as God's people, and destroyed the dividing walls that are between us. There was, and this chapter is imp really important for this text, there was in the in the Jewish uh, temples at that time, a, a literal dividing wall. There was a space in the middle of the synagogue where unless you were a Jewish male, you could not cross it. And, and there are some signs that uh, archaeologists and scholars have come across that actually said, don't cross this line on penalty of death. So unless you were a Jewish male, you couldn't come close to God. You had to stand back at a distance. And when the, the text in chapter 2 says that in Jesus Christ, that dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed, it was God saying, I want all of you together. No more divisions among you. You are all being united in Christ. There's no more levels of access to me. You all have access to me together. And in fact, you all need each other in order to experience me fully. Chapter 3, all families in heaven and on earth derive their name from God the Father. There's an interesting section in chapter 3 where in, in a span of a couple verses, it uses the word for household five different times. It doesn't show up in the, in the English as well, but, but in the Greek there are five different times. It's talking about the shape of God's household. God the Father, he's saying, I'm putting my own household together, and this is what my household is going to look like. All of you are going to be a part of it. I'm reconciling all of you as a part of it, and in that, we hear that fourfold dimension of God's love, how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of God the Father in Jesus Christ. And so there's this this overwhelming context here of God saying, I'm at work reconciling the whole universe, and I'm doing it in Jesus Christ, and, and I'm calling you to be part of it, and I'm giving you a new life in that, and as I do, I'm making all of you one, so that in the midst of all of you, I can display this expansive love of mine. Chapter 4, if you go on to the next one. How do we live in response to that news? that God actually wants his love to dwell among us richly. Chapter 4 starts with a, I urge you. That, that language is in there. It's a, it's a heavy, I urge you. There's an urgency to this. Live a life worthy of the calling. Live out this grace and love in unity together. And, and as you live it in unity, 
bring everybody involved. Partway through chapter 4, it has, you will grow up in Christ as everyone in the body of Christ does its part. So everybody is needed in order for the love of Christ to show. Chapter 5, just before what we read today, or what we'll read today, emphasizes that we are to follow God's example as dearly loved children. So the way we live is not a heavy-handed command, do this or you're in trouble. It's a, it's a father who's saying, listen, I've loved you, I've forgiven you, I've united you together, now go and live like I'm living. Go and, and be my presence among others, and do so with thanksgiving. So our response and the way we live, the ethics of how we live, is not to be a heavy-handed law, it's to be a joyful way of living together. Today's passage comes right in here, right after that. Right after that call to Thanksgiving. You want to keep going, Colin? And then the next one. Next week, we're going to talk about how our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not at war with each other. We're called to fight the powers and principalities that threaten to divide us and separate the unity of Christ's body. So as we hear this word today, and as Nella reads it in just a moment, this is the context in which it takes place. This overwhelming sense of God saying, people, live in unity together out of joyful thanksgiving because I love you deeply. If you haven't looked it up yet, the passage is on page 1823. Before we open the word, let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Father in heaven, thank you for being our Father and letting us all be here with you this morning, whether we're young or old, whether we're as families or we're alone, or as those who rejoice or those who mourn or feel oppressed and marginalized. Help us to experience the reality that we are all part of your family and that you are with us, regardless of our circumstances. Bless Pastor Chris as he ministers to us, to all of us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his wife and mother will leave his father and mother and be reunited with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, 
Each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and respect and fe- with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So far the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. When God comes home with us, it's really the the overarching direction of, of what we're talking about this morning. This passage takes the idea of God's unity in the church and what God has been doing to to bring all people together in the church and says, now it's not just about the church building and what you do when you're all gathered together there. It even has to do with how you live in your homes. We're going to talk about the structure of this text. In in the NIV originally, what you have in the pews here uh, is not the most recent edition of the NIV. The scholars keep studying the texts and trying to figure out how to translate things. And, and what you have here, verse 20, verse 20 occurs at the end of the previous section. And, and it's tied into, or verse 21 occurs at the end of the previous section. It's tied into the passage before this of, of how do we live in response to the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do we live out this life with thanksgiving because the Holy Spirit is among us? And scholars have debated, where does verse 21 go? Because in some sense, it fits with what comes before, but it also fits with what comes after. And so there's a whole lot of academic debate, and we're not going to go into that debate today. Uh, Keep going. Next slide. The NIV used to and you hear me saying used to, we'll come back to that in a minute, what's in the pew, it breaks this one passage into three separate passages. It talks about wives and husbands, and then it adds a passage of children and parents, and then another passage about slaves and masters, and and it inserts these little headings in there. Do you see those headings if you have that open still? Those headings aren't actually in the text. That's an interpretation, a a guide for reading that the scholars who translated the text add in. And so they're adding it in as a way of trying to break up the text to make it a little bit more manageable as you read through. One of the dangers that happens when we do this is that we don't end up seeing the full scope of the text. We only see a little bit of it. And when we only see a little bit of it, we're tempted to think that little bit is everything there has to be said about it. You know that phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees? 
that often happens with this passage. People get stuck just usually on that first sentence of 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. Right? How many of you have heard that before? How many of you hate that scripture text? All right. It is a tendency that we take that one little piece in that one little section here and we say, that's what this whole text is about. And we've somehow disconnected it from the context of the rest of the letter. And we somehow disconnected it from what the husbands are supposed to be doing. It's a pretty tall order, order husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. He died for her. He gave up everything for her. All his rights and privileges of heaven, he gave them all up so that the church might flourish. That's a pretty tall order. But if we just stay at wives and husbands, we've even missed the fullness of it. It's like standing, standing and staring at one tree in the forest and going, ah, isn't this an incredible tree? And look at all its ways it's designed. And, and we don't recognize that there are other trees around it. The passage continues, if we go on, the updated NIV reframes this whole section. It includes verse 21 as the opening to this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it wraps all three of these sections of, of wives and husbands, uh, of children and fathers, uh, of slaves and masters. Uh, it wraps all of them under one heading. Instructions for Christian households. And they're right to pick up on that word households because it, it connects us back to what God was doing in chapter 2. Making his household united. Breaking down that dividing wall that I talked about just a few moments ago and saying this dividing wall has no more place. And in fact, if you, you looked at the way that synagogue worship was structured, it wasn't just a dividing wall to keep the Gentile men from the Jewish men, there was another section where the women and children would stand that was even further removed. And all of that is being broken down. To say those boundaries don't have a place in terms of equality before God. And, and so when we hear this language of instructions for Christian households, it's not building up more walls, it's actually tearing down walls that existed. Keep going. There are three relationships within the households back then. We don't have those same designations today, at least not all of them. There were wives and husbands. There was also at that time actually multiple, you could have uh, multiple wives. So it, it wasn't just necessarily one wife. It was multiple wives in that culture that was allowed. Um, wives and husbands. There was also children and fathers. And then there was slaves and masters. So these sets of relationships, and, and we'll make a few observations about these of what the structure tells us, but just, just to give a little bit of context too. There are other texts from the Greek, uh, the Greco-Roman world at that time that talk about what wives owed to their husbands. And it talked about what children owed to their parents. And it talked about what slaves owed to their masters. You have to do this. And it emphasized what were the rights of the man in each situation. 
were the rights of the of the husband he had certain rights that things he could expect from his wife the father had certain rights over his children and this and the masters had certain rights things they could do to their slaves and it was considered legal and ethical that framework of of speaking into the household they're speaking into these structures that are defined by the responsibilities of the wife of the children and of the slaves and the rights of the man in each situation the husband the father and the master that's the context that this passage is coming into we'll go to the next a few aspects of what this structure is trying to recognize there's there's a couple things here keep going the order of each pairing starts with the one who has less power and the way we recognize that that's happening here is that it starts actually with the responsibilities of the, of the woman, of the child, of, of the slave. Whereas culturally, it would have been more appropriate to start with what the man's rights were. It's flipping the order around. And in flipping that order around, it's giving attention to the one who has less power. And it does something unique in this structure of telling what that, less, that person in less power is supposed to do. And they're supposed to treat the person who has more power than them as if that person is Christ. In fact, we see it clearly when it's talking about the slaves. When it's talking about the slaves, it says, remember, you're not serving your earthly master. You're really serving Christ. And each of these refrains, wives, as you submit to your husband, what you're really doing is you're submitting to Christ. And children, as you honor your parents and obey them, what you're really doing is obeying God. There is a tension to reframing authority from earthly power to who God is and what God is doing. And part of it is saying, when you live your life, even in your home, the way you live your life in your home, no matter who is in authority over you, you live your life as if you are living for God. His authority is over you in all these relationships. Next. The second party of each pairing refers to the same group of people. It's the same group. It, it would be like if, if we set things up in here and we put all the women and children on this side and we put all the men over here, I would be like, men! Here's your wives. Men! Here's how you treat your children. Men! Here's how you treat the people you work for you. The repetition in this passage keeps going back to the men who are in authority. And it's a direct word to them. They're in power. They're the ones who have authority right now. And it's saying, here's how you use that authority and power that's been entrusted you to seek the flourishing of others. To seek the well-being of others. The constant refrain is back to men, you have authority and power. This is how you need to live now. There's a retraining, a reordering. Not an emphasis of men, here's your rights. But men, here's your responsibilities. Here's how you are responsible to care for other people. You think you have authority over them to tell them how they should treat you. But your authority has been given to you so that you may treat them as Christ treats them. Love your wives 
as Christ loved the church. Love your children. Don't anger them or exasperate them. Instead, nurture them. Nurture them. It's not quite the macho image of the Greco-Roman world that the husband was, or the father was supposed to nurture kids. And on top of that, treat your slaves as if they are your equal because God shows no favoritism between your status as a master and their status as a slave. The favoritism and privilege of position is gone when you stand before God. You see what's happening in this text? The structure and the ordering of the text is confronting power dynamics in the culture and the way people, men especially, lorded it over others in their homes and saying, no more. Any authority you have, any power you have, any position you have of responsibility or of right is only a right to serve and care and nurture those in your home. Your very home is to resemble the unity of the body and this desire that everyone in that body would flourish. Theme. Go on to the next. We'll keep going. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is where verse 21 starts. It sets the whole tone for every aspect of the passage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, what God is doing cosmically to reunite all things, to make all things new in Jesus Christ, to bring all things together, what God is doing in the church to bring a unity among God's people and break down those dividing walls and say that everyone has something to offer, God is also desiring to do in our homes. That our homes would be places of mutual submission where we learn to pour into each other and seek not only the best for, but the good for each person in our home. And the good for them is that they might contribute to the well-being of others. It takes the unity of the church and roots it in the home. There is, in our, our kind of Dutch Reformed theology, there is a phrase of every square inch. It refers to Christ's lordship. And oftentimes when we use that phrase, we're talking about mission. That every square inch in the world around us, every square inch of our culture, out there as we go out, is under the Lordship of Christ, and therefore we need to be engaged in bringing renewal there. But every square inch has everything to do with the square inches in our homes and in our relationships in our homes. And even those places are to be transformed by this grace of Jesus Christ. Keep going. What's happening throughout the text, as, as I, I was pointing out as we walked through the structure, is that, that Paul's turning all the rights of power and position, all the rights of status, and he's flipping them upside down and turning them into responsibilities. You have power? Great! Use that power to serve others, to love them, to nurture them, to cause them to grow. You have influence? Great! Use that influence to love someone else so that they experience the grace of Jesus Christ. You have position? Great. Use that position so that someone else
can flourish. It's a taking of everything we have, and it's a bending towards others so that our role, no matter if we are top dog or we're somewhere else in the rung, is bent towards the service and the good of the people around us. It's starting to sound like that summary of the law, isn't it? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything that you have and everything that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor, starting with your wife, your children, and anyone else who happens to be in your home. Keep going. Every relationship being transformed by the grace of Christ until in our homes we embody the unity of all things in Jesus Christ. Remember back in chapter 1, what I highlighted, it's around verse 10 or 11 in chapter 1, talks about the whole purpose of God lavishing his love on us in Jesus Christ is so that there might be unity of all things in heaven and on earth. And chapter 4 urges us to live into that unity. And this part of chapter 5 and chapter 6 says, now this is how it looks in your home. That that unity doesn't stay as a cosmic utopian ideal, but becomes a tangible, practical thing that we experience day to day as we wake up, we smell each other's breath, we fight over coffee cups, we grumble, all of that stuff in our homes. That's where the unity of Christ's body is experienced. How do we apply this? I'm sure some of you are already coming up with ideas. I hope they are not ideas of what your spouse needs to do or what your kids need to do. That's the temptation here. Didn't you hear the preacher this morning? Right? What this text should be pushing to each of us is how am I going to submit to the other people in my home so that they grow and they flourish? How am I going to live in such a way that everybody in my home is thriving in Christ? That's where we start. Keep going. Each person spending themselves to see others flourish. Small homework assignment. Small. This coming week, I want you to find one thing that you can do for somebody else in your home. One thing that you normally don't do. So if you already get up in the morning and you make coffee for your spouse, that doesn't count this week. All right? Still do it, but that doesn't count for this. Find one thing you don't normally do to communicate to your spouse, to your children, to your parents, or if you have others living in your home or living with you, your roommates, your housemates. Find one thing you can do this week that says to them, I want to see you grow and flourish. I want to see you grow and flourish. It could be a small gift. Some of us rejoice over a small chocolate bar in the knowledge that somebody is paying attention to our cravings, right? But it could be a letter or a word of affirmation. It could be something scribbled on a, on a mirror in the morning, preferably not with permanent marker, but scribble something on the mirror. I see you today. God loves you. It could be that simple. But find some way this week to submit yourself, your time, your energy, your thoughts to encouraging somebody else in your home to grow in Christ.
Remind them that they have been united with Jesus Christ. The household and the family working together to see God's purposes, the unity of all things in Christ embodied in their life together. Homework assignment number two. Somewhere between now and the end of January. A couple weeks yet. All right, no panic mode. A couple weeks. Sometime, sometime between now and the end of January, as a household, whether that's family, you're all blood-related, whether it's roommates or housemates, and if you're living by yourself, find a neighbor. Join in with someone else. And if you know somebody who's living by themselves, go find them and bring them into your family and your household. Take the initiative. But as a household, find one thing you can do as a group that will communicate this love of God and Jesus Christ to somebody outside of your family. As a household, what can you do to together embody this love to other people? So in the household, each of us individually looking how we can demonstrate that love to others. In our household, as a household, looking how we can demonstrate that love to the people outside of us. We're going to close with a video testimony. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And part of Sanctity of Life Sunday recognizes the atrocity of abortion. And part of what we are called to as a church is not simply to, to talk to the legal authorities in the government. We need to do that and say, reverse these laws that allow abortions, especially at the rate and the way they happen. But we also need to be a community who comes alongside mothers who are in trouble, who are struggling with an unexpected, unplanned pregnancy, and come alongside them and say, we will walk with you. One of the ways that that is often done is through foster care, and we have a number of people in our congregation who have been involved in foster care over the years. Right now, Jim and Mary Jane Tigelar are engaged in foster care, and I had the opportunity, with, uh, along with Mark Venord, to sit down with them and tape an interview uh, of their talking through what foster care is, why they do it, and how it's related to their discipleship. And it's one example, not the only example, but one example of how our households can start to embody this love of Jesus Christ together.